one of the mentors that has had the biggest impact in my life. He's the one who gave me my first exposure to cross-cultural ministry as we worked together uh, to minister to hundreds of Chinese children yes. uh, at a Chinese church conference at Cedarville University. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's very interesting. First of all, I'm going to honor you the Zambian way. We, we honor elders for the, the many years of life that they have persevered through. You would never know that his energy and his appearance, you'd never guess that, uh, that he's been in ministry with Word of Life for over 40 years now. Yes. But, oh goodness, back in uh, 1994, Ken... Uh, was leading an activity called Word of Life Teens Involved. And um, as a result of that, maybe you'll even share a bit of that. I'll share. Um, I came to Christ. And so this is my (laughs) spiritual father, mentor, friend, and our newest member of the board of directors. Thank you, Ken, for being here. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. That I've been here at least once before, sitting in the back and watching and, and observing and, and being with Jamie and Mandy and the crew and uh, being with IBM Global uh, staff and been talking with them for a few years now, uh, doing some advising and encouraging. That, uh, you know, today we're celebrating IBM missions. Amen. And with that, we know that IBM was birthed here, right? You are the father and mother of this mission agency. You've done your part in the maturation of this agency. And as Jamie has shared, January 1st will be their graduation. And if you've ever had a child that's graduated from college or from high school and go on to, uh, to, to work or into a vocation or something else, you know that's a very special time. But also you know if you're a parent or grandparent, you still have influence, even though the graduation is there, you still have influence within that agency, within the people, because you were, you were the first ones to, to encourage them. You've invested prayer, amen? You've invested time. You've invested financial resources, as we heard about faith, but many other missionaries that you've been a part of. And you have been faithful in so many areas. I can take you to uh, several churches. One, I think, in South Central Ohio. Another one uh, that's in, in, in Michigan. And, uh, but I could take you to several others like them in which they were proud of their missionaries. They were proud of how they got them started. They were proud how they were part of it. They were proud how they could give money to them. But then the churches failed to stay healthy and ended up, some of them have closed their doors because they have not stayed healthy in order to be that healthy support system for the missionaries. 
Not only that, but missionaries also have a responsibility to you. Am I right? To stay healthy, to stay spiritually impactful. These are things that are necessary for a working relationship. They doing their part, you doing your part, and all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. So what makes the difference? What keeps you from, let's say, coming down? And when I see an auditorium this big, I remember my first year as an area missionary with Word of Life. I used to be an engineer, but my first year as an area missionary, uh, I, and we moved down close to Columbus for the first uh, four years, three years of our ministry. And I walked in one church that had an auditorium that had 500 seats. And as the pastor said, we could shoot a shotgun out here and not hit anybody because they were running about 30-some with 500 seats because they failed to stay healthy in what they're doing. And so my challenge is to the missionaries that are going to the field, but also to each of us that are here behind them. And to do that, I'd like to illustrate with four chairs here. And with these four chairs, I'm going to just rotate these just a little bit here because you can barely see these over here. Let me just move this forward a little bit. There we go. And we have four chairs. And each of these chairs represents us. We're sitting in one of these four chairs. And in one of these four chairs, we're abiding, and hopefully we might be desiring to move up in the chairs, or depending what chair we're in, to establish ourselves, not for our own reputation, but for God's glory to serve Him. And so as we look at this, we look at God's Word, I want you to think, which chair am I in? Which chair am I in? And this is not just for missionaries, this is for every one of us. In fact, I know of a a 10-year-old pastor's son who went home And he actually asked his folks and his grandpa and grandma, who's the pastor of my church, said, what chair do you think I am in? And he named it. And he says, you know what? I want to move up. A 10-year-old. Now, how many here are older than 10? Only half of you? So let's pray, and let's talk about the four chairs. Let's talk about you and me. Father, help us now as we look at this, as we examine ourselves as we examine your scripture, as we examine where we sit and with where we sit, how we serve. Use this time for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want some interaction here as we go through this. This first chair is the chair of the unbeliever. Could you say that with me? The chair of the Uh, pretty good back there, a little bit soft over here. Let's try it again. The chair of the? That's where all of you and I start. That's why Jesus came down. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We also see in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. His desire is that we would come to a loving, living relationship with Jesus Christ. That means understanding 
that we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Understanding that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That it says in, in God's word in Romans uh, 5, 8, but God commendeth or gave his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he gave his free gift of salvation. The wage of this sin is death. That's our destination if we do not receive Christ. And that's not just physical death, but that's eternal death. That's eternal separation from God. And so we need to understand as it goes on, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God, a gift that's given, not earned. We cannot do anything to gain it except ask, ask Jesus Christ. And so the baby believer this is where I sat for many years, that I was active in my church. I was an acolyte. I lit candles, put them out. When I went to college, I still went to church. Uh, I was an usher. In fact, it's kind of crazy that a couple of us in college, we had a competition of how many people, we didn't have chairs, it was pews, how many people we could stuff in a pew, and we'd have a competition of doing that. But, but I was active in church. I was active in our, in our uh, fellowship in college. But yet I was on my way to hell. I was on my way to hell. I went to church all my life. But I sat in this chair. And it wasn't until the end of my sophomore year at Ohio State University, I realized I was at an event. By the way, I went because this cute chick asked me. Uh, she's not my wife. Um, my wife is even cuter. So... But, but anyhow, she, she invited me, and I went because she asked. And I heard the gospel, and it's there. I realized I was a sinner, realized that I, I had to understand, and I did understand that Jesus was the only way. He died for my sins. He shed his blood for my sins, and he was raised from the dead for me. And I had to call on him to be my personal Savior we call it to ABCs, admit we're a sinner, believe that he's the only way, and see, choose him, call on him to be our personal Savior. That night at Mershon Auditorium, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so I moved from this chair of the baby, of, of, of an unbeliever to the baby believer. But let me just say a couple things here. That the unbeliever could sit among us, just like I sat among so many people. The unbeliever that's, is, is someone who might be a seeker, and that's something that maybe I was because I kept going to church, even in college, but might be also a denier. That's, uh, I, I, I know people in my church that went to church not because they wanted to. They went to church because it was good for business. They went to church because it was part of their tradition, Mom and dad built this church. My grandma and grandpa were part of this church. And, you know, this is my church. But they had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They could be sitting among us. They could be your next door neighbor. It could be you. Are you in this chair? They hear about the mission field without realizing they are the mission field. So we have the seeker and we have the denier. But then we have the second chair, and the second chair is the chair of the baby believers. Would you say that with me? The chair of the? Now, the first one was the chair of what? The second one is what? Baby believers. And 
I mean, how many has ever had a baby? Okay. That babies require diapering, right? Babies require feeding. They re require a lot of, uh, of, well, supervision, building into. And so a baby believer that's, is, is someone that needs a lot of help. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And Paul says this, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you are not able, for ye are still carnal. For whereas there is envying and divisions among you, are ye not carnal and behaving as mere men? as babes in Christ. Believers. He was talking to believers. But there were babes in Christ. There were envying, strifes, deceiving, all types of things that happened. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I can't be. I've been here 10, 15, 20 years. Let me ask these questions. One, do you read the Bible several times during the week or just when you're here at church? If you only do it when you're here at church, you might be a baby believer. Do you pray? Do you talk to God more than at mealtime or part of here? If that's the only time you pray, you might be a baby believer. You might be a baby believer. Uh, by the way, you might be doing devotions. And my first, first few years as a Word of Life lay leader, I was an engineer, junior design engineer with Clark Equipment at that time. And I didn't do a quiet time my first couple years because I didn't have time for it. I was a baby believer because I was telling the teens, you should do a quiet time, but I wasn't doing it. Then I got convicted, and I started doing it, but I started doing it, I started doing it out of to try and develop a habit. And so I was still a baby believer, but in time, I started doing it because I wanted to grow in God. I wanted to learn His Word. I wanted to get His Word into me. But if you're doing devotions, you're reading your daily bread or Word Life Quiet Time or another type of devotion, and you're doing it because it's habit, but you're not really digging in to see, hey, how does it apply to me? Then maybe you might be a baby believer. You might even be serving. Remember, I, I said I stepped in this chair that uh, Chris and Jeannie Brown, that are great friends, her father was part of the first, uh, first Word of Life Club in, in Colon, Michigan. And so I was asked to be a uh, Word of Life leader assisting him. Pastor knew I was a baby believer. Oh, by the way, I, I started teaching Sunday school approximately two months before that. that. I moved up there from Columbus, Ohio to Michigan. And the superintendent of Sunday school said, Hey, Ken, would you come out and, and, and sit in with the junior high boys while I'm teaching? And yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I came in and I sat. And afterwards he said, well, what do you think? And I said, oh, that's good. He said, great, here's the materials. You're on next week. And that's how I started teaching junior high boys. And then I was asked to, to work with Lauren Jennings, Jeannie's dad, as an assistant leader. And even then, that, again, I was a baby believer because even though I was there teaching, I was leading singing every week. I was teaching once a month my first year every other week. The second, the second year that I was still a baby believer because I'd not grown to a point until that third year 
of understanding the importance of moving out of this into the next chair. You might say, wait a minute, Ken, you really don't know me. I've been here. I've been part of this church. I've been doing stuff. Well, let me ask, how many here, whether at school or at work or relatives, and I don't name them, by the way, but you know they're selfish, they get irritable easily, they get angry, they still make immature decisions, and they're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. Anybody like that? You, no, don't point. Just raise your hands. Anybody here? You know some like that. As I said, it took me a few years to move out of the baby believer, even though I was serving, into the next chair. In fact, baby believers, they have accepted Christ. They have accepted Christ, but have no relationship with Christ. Got that? They've accepted Christ. They sing about Christ. They read about Christ, but they have no relationship with Christ. So the first chair is what? The chair of what? Let's try it again. The chair of what? Second chair is the chair of what? And the third chair is the chair of the working believers. Can you say that? The chair of the? I love working believers. I mean, the they take God's word to heart. Acts, um, it, it says in God's word that um, in, in Acts uh, chapter 7, uh, 7 11, that basically that, that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were, were so. They honestly, they honestly sought to find what God was saying to them. And so it's important for us to understand that we need to be in God's Word. They love to learn, 1711, not 711. They love to do daily devotions, not for habit, not for saying they checked the box, but to gain from God. They love to serve. Oh, they love to memorize God's Word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I have not sinned against thee. We've all heard that as youngsters, am I right? That they learned God's word, they memorized it, not so they could just win a prize, and that's okay. Prizes are good, awards are good, don't get away from that. That's a great incentive to get started or move, but we need to move to the point of memorizing God's word that I might stay true to God, that I might stay true to God. But they love to serve. They love to teach classes from nursery to adults. Every level is so important. They love and have a desire to willingly, lovely, to help their char charges to learn. The chair of the working believer. In fact, they see the mission field around them and love to share Christ with them. They take Acts 1.8 to heart, and ye, and ye receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Jerusalem, right? Next one is what? Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the, uh, of the earth. Now, by the way, back in Ohio, those the Samaritans were hated. So back in Ohio, the Samaritans to uh, uh, Buckeyes are Michiganders. I'm not sure what it is here in New Hampshire, 
But seriously, they see the mission field not just on the field, but right here, right where they're at. That's so important. Jamie and Mandy did not become missionaries because all of a sudden God puts this flagpole up, you shall be missionaries. They were both missionaries. I'll talk about them in just a minute. But they were both missionaries as teenagers, engaged in doing the work of the ministry. And so the idea of the working believers are those that are serving. And that's a great chair to be in. That's not a bad chair. It's a great chair to be in. And I pray most of you, if not all of you, are in this chair, the chair of the working believer, teaching, sharing, encouraging, building, giving, all types of things that are necessary for the church to stay functional and then to be able to maybe go out to mission fields. Pastor said this earlier in the Sunday school. Every person, I think you said that, Pastor, every person should go to the mission field. Every person. And that... That's my mantra. Not every one of your children will become missionaries overseas, but every one of your children and grandchildren and you need to understand what missions is and the best way is to go overseas on a missions trip. The working believer believes that and does that. But then we have the fourth chair, the fourth chair. But let's work through the three chairs again. This is, the first chair is a chair of what? Let's try it again, folks. Right with me. Chair of what? And then the chair of what? And then the chair of what? And then this is the chair of the reproducing leaders. Could you say that? The chair of the reproducing. Let's try it again. The chair of the reproducing leaders. As we look at this, if you got your Bibles, look at first. 1 Thessalonians 1. 1 Thessalonians 1. We'll look at 5 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and the Holy Spirit, and much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all Macedonian and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. That is so awesome idea of the reproducing leader. They're, they're the ones they lead to accept Christ. They also disciple the ones that they lead to Christ. 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that thou hast heard of many witnesses, the same commit out of faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You teach and train and equip that others will go out and teach train and equip, that the ones they reach will also be able to teach, train, and equip, to reach out to. IBM Global started right here. Missions start right here, not just in the church, but in our homes, but in our homes. 
as I've already said, they are not just something we all of a sudden are called to do. They only teach the people to serve, but they ask the ones they're discipling to get engaged with them, to, to serve with them, some side by side, as Paul did with Timothy. And really, as, as, as Paul was also mentored. And it was interesting that Paul's name was second as they started going out. But after a couple chapters, Paul's name was first because the man who was discipling him realized Paul's talent, Paul's gift, Paul's calling. But I see that even in today's world. I kind of saw that, not kind of, I saw it in my daughter's um, faith. She was a seventh grader. I remember her coming home, and as Jamie talked about Teens Evolved, that Faith came home and said, Daddy, I'm singing a duet this year. I, I knew she was singing a solo. She's going to play piano and that type of thing. And I said, oh, that's awesome, honey. Well, I'm the one running the event. So I made sure I'm available to go in and watch and listen to her. And as I went in, by the way, Faith can sing soprano, alto, and tenor. Not at the same time, but she can sing all three of those parts, with or without music. And as they stepped in, I saw the two girls up there, Faith and, and, and her friend, and they were singing the same part, the same notes. I know Faith can harmonize. And she, uh, by the way, I moved from this chair right down to here, chair of the baby believer, that uh, I was upset. I really was. I knew what she's capable of, and she must have saw the look on her face, but praise the Lord, it didn't deter her. They kept on singing. In fact, they placed, you ever see God take something simple and multiply it? They placed in the top five out of about 15 to go on to regional. And at regional, they placed in the top five out of about 14 to go on to international. And out of about 12 or 14 international, from those from Bermuda, Canada, and the United States, they placed third still singing the same part. That had to be their heart, their spirit, their tone. had to be all that together. God bless that. But I remember Faith coming up to me afterwards, and she says, Daddy, I could have sang with three other girls. We would have made an awesome girls quartet. But this girl wasn't going to do anything. And the only way she was going to do anything was for somebody to do it with her. And Daddy that when we started singing, she did not feel comfortable to, to us divide up in parts. The only way I could get her to sing was to sing the same part with her. You know, I felt about this high when my daughter got done with me. I mean, she didn't argue. She just stated the facts. My daughter was teaching me this principle of the reproducing chair. By the way, after international, they placed third. They came back to the church pastor had him sing in the evening service. Again, they sang the same notes. But afterwards, the girl said, Faith, I'm ready to sing parts. And another girl came up, hey, could I join you? And so for the rest of the time we were there, they had an awesome girls trio, three-part harmony. But the girl had to have a start. Faith was that start. Faith believed in what, what this girl could do, and she had to be part of it with her. I think of Jamie and Mandy. 
Mandy, I haven't told the story too much about you, but one of the things I loved is every time I had an evangelistic event, if nobody else came from your church, you came, and you came with someone else. You were building to them. You wanted them to, to be part of this evangelism. And I have told others, not as much as I have Jamie's story, but the thing is, I appreciated that very much. I still think about that. And Jamie, uh, he started to tell it, but his first year in Teens Evolved, he wrote his sermon. I think uh, Alan Houghton, his, his, the assistant pastor of youth and music, helped him, at least with the basics, and he put together a salvation message. He preached it before the youth group, and one girl, I think, trusted Christ. But through that, Jamie had realized he went forward, but he had never accepted Christ. And he kind of argued with himself. He talked to his mom. And if I remember right, halfway through the week, you guys got on your knees and he accepted Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that, Pastor? Receiving somebody, somebody receiving Christ through their own message. That's Jamie. But then within weeks after, after we had Teens Evolved, he started a public school Bible club at Milford Junior High, I think running about five to eight that year. By the time he was a junior, if I remember my figures right, he was running about 160 teenagers each week. Totally teen run. By the way, his senior year, instead of leading it, he trained his replacement. That's the chair of the reproducing leader. He wasn't depending on it lasting after he left. He wanted to make sure it would last after he left. So he trained the person to take his place when he graduated, when he left. So two teenagers, by the way, Mandy and Jamie, that um, my third year of doing Chinese ministry, they came, they were part of a team from Glen Estee. They came and I asked Jamie if he would co-lead uh, junior high with me, the junior high Chinese. And, and uh, he did such a good, by the way, he did most of the leading. I just kind of flowed in and out. But after that, he led the whole team on his own. Mandy led, I think, was it first and second grade or preschool, and led the whole team. And I say, have you ever been in a room with 50 preschoolers? That's how many she had. And half of them didn't know English. They didn't. All Chinese kids. And so, but they showed me that teens can do the work of the ministry. This is my challenge. Those, how many are teenagers? Raise your hands. Raise them. Come on. Okay. You're, you're glad you're a teenager, right? Okay. How many have teenagers? Okay. My challenge is this. Merrimack Valley should be engaging their teenagers to do ministry, first right here, and then to look at ways they, they can send them to different places, maybe even you as mom and dad or maybe grandma and grandpa going with them and having a trip with them, understanding what it means to be in a third world country, or maybe a first world country, but in a foreign place where there's, you know, like England, where it's dead. And so it's important for us to understand that as reproducing leaders, we start to see multiplication take place. It starts in our church, it starts in our family, and then it goes overseas. So let's just walk through these chairs real quick now. Here we go. Chair of the? Chair of the? Chair of the? And the chair of? 
Amen. Which chair are you in? And by the way, you can be in two chairs at once. Like I said, I was up here, but I was down here when my daughter did her thing. And she had more maturity than I did at that, and at that time. At times, I still think she has more maturity than I do. That, uh, but she's an awesome daughter. My son, he has his doctorate. He's superintendent of schools out in Pennsylvania. He wanted to be a Christian influence in the public schools. Can't argue with that. Amen? But the reproducing leader, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we praying that God might lead our children into ministry? Are we praying that God would lead our children to be full-time Christians no matter what vocation they were in? That's one of the things I saw as a young missionary of people who forced their kids rather than those who led their kids. And I could take you to families that lost their kids because they drove their kids to Christianity. I also can take you to names of families in which their families are walking the Lord, serving the Lord, some full-time Christians in their churches, and some full-time vocational missionaries on the field. So are we praying that God would lead our children to be full-time Christians? Are we actively engaging them? Are we serving with them? That's a key thing. Are you serving with them? And there's times I failed my children. I remember one time that I was busy with stuff I had to get done. And I remember my, my uh, uh, daughter coming in and saying, Daddy, this person needs to know the Lord and she's not listening to me. Will you come out and help us? And I had so much to get done and I, I just can't right now. I remember her going and crying. And I realized I failed my daughter. Remember the first time I was going out for Christian service and, and, and we were taught the teens how to go out and witness and, and we had them divide up. And so they divide up by twos. And I remember the one teenager I was left with, he was a seventh grader, and all of a sudden he said, Mr. Dady, Mr. Dady, there's my coach. Let's go get him. And I, and I was scared. I never witnessed before. And so I said, he's your coach. Go get him. Again, I felt about that high. At that time, I vowed I would never do that to my teenagers again. I remember one time I was driving around with my teens in Jackson, Michigan, and one guy said, Mr. Dady, look at over there, it's the softball game. And, and one of the guys said, I wonder how many are saved. And I said, let's find out. And they said, too many of them, Mr. Dady, we don't have enough. I said, tell you what, follow me. So I stopped the van, we got out, and I walked right up to the pitcher's mound. Anybody here six foot two or three or more? That's how tall the kid was. So I had to look, I look up at most people anyhow. But anyhow, I, I said, son, has anybody ever loved you enough to share with you how to get to heaven from God's word? And he said, no, sir. I said, would you like to know? He said, yes, sir. Now I had the joy of leading him to the Lord right there in the pitcher's mound. I looked at my teen guys, four or five of them, and they were spread out sharing the gospel. I could tell you lots of stories where before I was a good sponsor, but I had to learn to become a good leader. 
a leader leads out front, not from behind. Are we part of the working believers? Are we part of the reproducing believers? So my question is this, or statement is this. Our young people are not the leaders of tomorrow. Our young people, did you hear that? Our young people are not the leaders of tomorrow. They're leaders today. They're leading their friends towards Christ or away from Christ. Which way are we helping them? Which way are we helping them? This church is going to grow, expand, and plant new works here and abroad as we grow in the Lord through his word, spiritually expand by witnessing to others and plant as we help equip those around us to do what we're doing. So my question is this, which chair are you in? What will it take you to go from one chair to another? Or what's going to take it for, for you to stay in that chair if you're up in the top two chairs? Parents, start with your children. Grandparents, start with your grandkids. Great place to start. Teachers, ministry leaders, start with those you have in charge and set a goal of what you'd like to see them be in. My question is for you to ask, how can I impact? How can I impact those around me this week? Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. I need to address two things. One, you might be in this unbelieving chair. You might be in this unbelieving chair. It's easy to move out of that, by the way, hard, because then it takes humility to admit. It took humility for Jamie to admit that he, was, he needed Christ. Because everybody knew he knew Christ, quote-unquote. So let me ask, do you know Jesus Christ? And if not, would you be willing to do that? It means admitting we're sinners. It means actually believing that Jesus Christ died for us, shed his blood for us, was buried, and was rose, uh, rose from, the again, uh, from the grave for us. It means calling on him, asking him to be our Savior. If you haven't, would you do that right now? Just admit to him you're a sinner. Just tell him that. Jesus, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Just tell him that. I believe that you shed your blood for me. Just tell him that. I believe that God raised you from the dead for me. Just tell him that. Now, don't say this unless you absolutely mean it. Jesus, I accept you now as my personal Savior. Is there anyone here who just prayed that and meant it and are thankful for that? Will you just raise your hand? Say, Ken, I just, just prayed that. I just meant that. Just raise your hand. Let me ask. Do you know what chair you're in? Are you willing to do what's necessary to move up to the next chair? Or if it's in the top two chairs, to, to stay there? Would you just talk to God and say, Lord, help me. Help me. To move from this chair to the next chair. Help me do what's necessary 
Help me to find the person that can encourage me. Help me to find your word that I, I can be led by you. If you prayed something like that, we just shake your head yes all over the auditorium. Yes, several of you, many of you. Awesome, awesome. Father, I just thank you for Merrimack Valley. I thank you for the people. I thank you for their vision for starting emissions. I thank you for their ability to release the mission but still be part of it. I thank you for each person here that each of us might walk out knowing you, growing in you, serving you, and sharing you, and then discipling others to do the same. Use us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Uh, appreciate your encouragement. Um, before we sing,